Did you know that music can accelerate child brain development and strengthen intellectual, emotional, and motor skills as well as overall literacy? Bringing music into the classroom can help kids explore the mind-body connection and become comfortable with self-expression. Sadly, many children's music programs are lacking in the resources they need to let kids explore this creative space. That's why Osiris is very happy to partner with the Mockingbird Foundation. Founded in 1996, the Mockingbird Foundation is a volunteer-run nonprofit organization dedicated to improving access to music education for America's youth. Each year, the foundation awards grants to dozens of music education programs and funds those grants through a combination of fundraising, publishing, and the curation of Fish.net, one of the earliest internet fan communities. Mockingbird is entirely volunteer with no staff, no salaries, and no office. So every dollar really does make a difference in providing children's music programs with the staffing, instruments, and support they need. The foundation gives over $100,000 to $150,000 every year in grants. To donate or learn more, visit mbird.org. That's M-B-I-R-D dot org. go beyond the pond we just want to tell you about another excellent podcast from osiris media talking about the help and friendly pod the og osiris pod if you will the helping friendly pod is hosted by rjb brad tenbrook matt dwyer and jonathan hart it is at its heart if you will a celebration of all things fish what began as a bedroom project between RJ and Brad, longtime friends, to chat with other fish fans about their favorite fish shows has blossomed into something much greater, much more deep diving into every fish album, deep diving into special months in fish history, covering full tours. Uh, one of their early episodes with Matt Dwyer, uh, he charted the entire history of fish through the song Tweezer and its variety of jams. They do quick hits during each tour to give you essentially uh, day of reviews of uh, the show that just happened. Just fantastic stuff. The love for fish is there. The nerdery and information and deep dive and historical knowledge is there. If you like this podcast, there's no reason why you shouldn't be listening to HF Pod on a regular basis. We honor our forebearers. I don't think you get to be on the pond without HF Pod. They're very good guys. They're very knowledgeable guys. It certainly is one of the most fantastic fish podcasts to end all fish podcasts. So, check out HF Pod. And now, let's go beyond the pond. Folks, I'm 
David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. You are tuned into episode 90 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of getting a listener to listen to other bands. These are usually not jam bands because we love Fish. We love Fish fans. Sometimes the problem with Fish fans is they get to be a touch myopic, only focusing on their favorite band and all the statistics and nerdery that surrounds it. And we kind of just want to serve as a reminder that there are many other acts out there. However, this is the Deep Pond. Really, anybody who is looking to discover some new music will find a welcome home here. And yet, that's not entirely what we're doing this episode. Not at all. We are staying well within the pond this episode, uh, celebrating the year of 2019 fish that just happened in, uh, you can call it now, it's our second annual episode with Stephen Hyden, the uh, prolific music writer, host of 36 from the Vault, an Osiris Media podcast, uh, former host of the Celebration Rock podcast, former writer at Grantland, uh, host of Break Stuff about Woodstock 99, just all around great music writer, great guy, counting down our five favorite sets of Fish 2019. And I'm really looking forward to this episode. I've been listening back to some of these sets for the first time since December. Really feels like a bit of time has passed and uh, got to hear them with kind of fresh ears and really kind of compile where I felt things ranked throughout the year. And uh, it's definitely been a lot of fun. And then following that, uh, we're going to deep dive into a big, probably the biggest debate of 2019 fish, the MSG tweezer or the Alpine Valley Ruby Waves. I don't think it's much of a debate, but that's what will make it fun. But anyhow, I've been looking forward to this episode for a while. We very much enjoyed the one that we did last year. We love having Stephen on the pond, like uh, everything Brian has said, and then some. I actually just finished reading his book that he wrote, um, assisted Steve Gorman from the Black Crows, about uh, Steve Gorman's view of the rise and fall of the Black Crows called Hard to Handle. Very, very much enjoyed it. Highly recommend that book if you haven't read it yet. But, yep, like Brian had said, this episode is not going to feature other bands other than Fish. This is really just uh, kind of looking back at our favorite sets of 2019 with some fresh eyes in the run-up to the first shows of 2020, which will be the Mexico shows. Yeah, and we are quite looking forward to those. The first shows of Fish 2020, we'll definitely be covering those in a similar way to what we did last year. Um, but it was great to look back at 2019, and um, I've got some good questions here prepared for you guys that I'm excited to get answered about your thoughts on the year. I think it was a really unique year in Fish history, and it capped off the first complete decade that Fish played aside from the 1990s, which is pretty wild. Without further ado, let's get to some fish. To the air, we're up above my 
So we're back a year later to talk about 2019 Fish. What'd you guys think? Interesting year. A little up and down. But overall, uh, there's some absolute highlights which we're going to talk about. I don't think it was quite as consistent as 2018 was, but it may have actually peaked higher. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I agree with that. I, it was funny because I, going into this, I felt like there were at least two very obvious peaks, and I was very fixated on those particular shows and 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 not even just entire shows but just like particular performances and going back into uh the shows and like revisiting certain gigs that i remember enjoying at the time but then like forgetting about it was actually like oh yeah this is there was actually like more here than i remember uh you know enjoying so yeah i think overall it was uneven i feel like it was hard to find like a complete show you know, that was, like, good from beginning to end. I think there was probably, I could think of, like, two shows, really, that were, like, great from beginning to end. Otherwise, it was more about finding, like, three or four song, like, chunks that were, like, just great, you know, like, like sequences, basically, yeah. in sets. Um, and, and sometimes, like, those kind of sequences would, like, make the show. Uh, so, but but I really feel like there were sequences like that in like most of the shows, really, um, at least like in the summertime, I think the, I think that you know like that that late fall like winter tour was a bit of a wash until like you got to MSG, um, but uh, I think there was always some gold to be found in every show. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think um, our analysis over the summer was a lot of like segmented brilliance that. They'd achieve maybe 35, 40 minutes of near perfection in their jamming and their song selection. And it'd be like four or five songs. You'd get a couple full sets, a couple shows where it was translated across. But for the most part, and I think a lot of this has to do with, I'd be curious to hear you guys' thoughts. But, you know, for me, it was they dumped, what, 30 new songs into their live repertoire or their live catalog from the start of summer tour and that I think fitting those songs in had them thinking a little bit more in terms of especially Trey what song do we need to play next do we need to keep pushing this song forward which ends up messing with flow a little bit more than if they're just feeling a song feeling a jam and they keep it going so that basically would have been all the Ghost of the Forest songs the Capsule of Fox songs yes okay what you just said, Brian, I think that makes sense to me that um, a lot of the shows that I ended up loving from uh, 2019 actually like were made up of like a lot of like newer songs, like yeah. songs from like the last decade, sometimes songs from like the last five years, uh, which I think is, you know, really speaks to like what Fish was able to do this year in terms of like integrating new material. Um, but as you also alluded to, there's also a lot of risk with that. And right. they, a lot of these songs aren't as established. They haven't figured out maybe like how to integrate them as well. So like, you know, sometimes they would do it and it'd be brilliant. And I think the shows that we're going to be talking about, 
I think that I know for me, there's like a lot of examples of like kind of newish songs that they were able to string together in, in a really kind of exciting way. Um, but you know, sometimes it's not going to work. Uh, so even if you feel like Fish in 2019 was like a little uneven, there is a little bit of like sort of a tip of the cap to what they're doing that they're not just kind right. of resting on their laurels. Um, although it is interesting because I do feel like as a little bit of foreshadowing here that the absolute highlight of the year is them finding a way to take an old war horse and make it very exciting uh, <laughs> once again, you know, uh, which I feel like a lot of people probably know what I'm talking about when I say that, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, not coming totally out of the blue saying that, but, you know, the fact that they could play a very well-established jam vehicle and, and make yeah. it very exciting once again uh, also speaks to the sort of invention that Fish was able to have in uh, 2019. Yeah, thinking of speaking of uh, sort of really thinking really hard, where it seemed like the summer they had the challenge of putting all those new songs into the set. On the short fall tour, they kind of handicapped themselves by going no repeats for what it was like eight nights i think it's pretty short right 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 so by the end of the eight night run with no repeats you could really hear and see the gears turning in trey's head to the point where he would have to start songs and then stop songs given that uh they had already been played which sort of almost resulted in some like brain cramps and then resulted in charleston night three which is the ultimate brain cramp. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and Steven, something you said that I kept thinking about all year, and it's for all the kind of uneven aspects of the year and for all the, you know, moments where it felt like they were trying to do something and it may not work. The thing that I loved about this year more than, I would say a a good number of years throughout 3.0 even, um, was the fact that everything that they were working towards was brand new. They Their songwriting, I really love where it's at, um, and I think you can really see them reaching kind of a new peak in terms of their own ability to write songs. I, per- I personally loved Sigma Oasis and Evening Song that debuted towards the end of Fall Tour and over the MSG run and just sound like a new avenue for trey to be writing for tom to be writing in um and those new songs combined with the ghost of the forest casvote box really kind of told the story of the year for me more so than even some of these sets that were that we're discussing yeah i mean i think uh for some of the clunkiness that existed and maybe some of the shows and made them occasionally frustrating to listen to I think especially in that fall tour, uh, which I think was, you know, a very hit or miss campaign and maybe more miss than hit. Um, just the idea that that this is a band that is, you know, 30 years plus, and they're still integrating new songs into the set that are as satisfying uh, at certain points in the set as like the old kind of war horse type songs. And we'll get into it as we talk about these shows, but there's certain songs that they've played uh, that are, you know, just a couple years old that for me 
instantly bring a smile to my face. Mm. And it's like, I'm so glad that they're playing it at this moment in the set. Um, you know, I think that's an exciting thing. Uh, if you're a fan of this band, you know, looking forward that, uh, the failures that they went through in this year, like where, you know, they were playing songs that maybe didn't always work looking ahead to 2020 and 2021 and, and all the years beyond, you feel like, okay, well, that's only going to get smoother with a lot of this material. Yeah. Like they're kind of setting themselves up for the next couple of years where these songs become more right. comfortable. And from a jamming standpoint, it continues to grow. All right. Plus the new songs, they're mostly very good and they're confident and they're going to play them and the fans are going to want to hear them. It's not, like you're seeing the Rolling Stones, and they're going to play something from like Bridges to Babylon. You right. Have to pay attention. They're, uh, <laughs> you know. So before we get to our countdowns, I want to ask you guys really quick, because um, this is something I don't know if we def- if we necessarily defined last year. Is there something that you guys are generally looking for um, as listeners and as attendees to a show in a set that you walk away from it saying? I have to listen to that again or like you hear it maybe on a road trip or while just doing chores around the house and it just like fits in a unified way for you guys. I'm a big proponent of setless flow, especially in set two. I like it when songs have a purpose, maybe even thought about a bit in advance. Maybe if the song list that Trey is using isn't um, gargantuan, like I don't know how many songs they have to think about on a night to night basis. But if you can give me a second set that seems to have like an overriding theme, it's got a peak, it has an end, and preferably the last 35 minutes don't go like six-minute chalk dust torture, Susie Greenberg waste, (laughs) doesn't do the jukebox thing, and that's pretty much what I'm satisfied with. Give me like a good six-song, top-to-bottom, wham-bam, thank you, ma'am, get to the encore set. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all that. I mean, the idea of like a set having a narrative where you feel like you have a beginning, middle, and end is always a very exciting thing to have with a set. I would also say, like, for me, whenever, like, when I was thinking about this last year, and it was the same this this year, like, when I pick my favorite sets, a lot of times there's some sort of personal connection to it. Like, I feel like... um I have a memory attached to it because it was it was a very impactful moment. And it's interesting because in previous years, it was mm. always about me listening to a stream of a show at a particular moment and, and feeling like it hit me in a certain way. Because I feel like before this year, I had never gone to a truly great fish show. You know, because like I'm not as like... I'm not the samurais that you two are in terms of going to fish shows. Like I, I, I have not gone to as many gigs as you have, but um, you know, 2019 I got very lucky because you know two of the shows that I think a lot of people feel like are among the greatest gigs of 2019 are are shows that I was lucky enough to have gone to. So to have actually attended those in person and. And, and, you know, again, like, and I think we've talked about this before, but like when you're actually in the room, it's different than if you're just like streaming it like after the fact or even live streaming it at home. Yes. Um, a show that might not seem that good to a person who's just listening to it later might hit someone differently if they were actually in the room and 
they have all of the sort of extracurricular things that come into the experience of experiencing a show. And then if you have all those things, and it's actually a truly great show that even people who don't have that context hear it and they think, oh, this is great. It just goes to another level. So like for me in 2019, that, you know, that was a really impactful thing to like actually have been in the room at, at, at certain moments that I felt like were truly great and, and to see them unfold and to have just had those memories, you know, that, that we all have of, of those great gigs of, you know, like where you don't know what's going to happen next and you feel the anticipation in the crowd of like, oh, where are they going to go? And like, we all know this is something special, but we don't know how this is going to end up. Just that magical kind of feeling. I'd never really had that until this year. So that that's, that's a very special thing for me kind of going into this list, you know? So I, so, so certainly like, so my personal experiences are going to be reflected in, 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 in some of my choices, but so, so yeah, so I'm excited to get into that. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I mean, I, I agree with everything you guys have both said. And I think the only thing I would add to it is for me, if I walk away from a set or I'm listening to a set and I don't care at all what actual songs they're playing, like it doesn't matter because they flow, like the choice just seems premeditated, but also this surprise and it just works in that moment alongside of a really excellent jam. Like that's just what I want. I don't want to necessarily care about this set list. I'd rather you play. Um, and there's a song in my number one, uh, my number one selection that I don't really want to ask for at a fish show, but it fit perfectly where where it was here. So um, that's definitely something I look for. Yeah, there's that moment like where you almost forget that you're listening to music. And like yeah. you, <laughs> you, you, you kind of get put into a trance <laughs> and you're put somewhere else. Um, I feel like that's always the magical moment, like where you're like, oh yeah. man, like you're you're so locked into what they're doing, uh, that you're, it, and it's like that meditative state that you always yes. want to get into, and I feel like, at least in my top three for sure, I hit that uh, when I when I listen to the sets even now. So, yeah, totally. Well, let's jump into it, uh, Steve. You're our guest. Why don't you hit us with your... Uh, so we all did five sets, and we're going to talk about them. We're going to possibly jump into a crazed debate for one that was left off of someone's countdown or one that was added on. But we're going to start out with our honorable mentions because there are some great sets here. Steve, what is your honorable mention uh, for 2019 Fish Sets? So I, I had two honorable mentions, and I'll just go through them quickly. Breaking the rules already. I love Breaking it. Breaking my rules. They're, they're tied <laughs> for my honorable mention. And uh, Well, because the first one I feel like isn't – because I revisited it, and I don't know if it's like an especially great set, but it kind of goes back to the personal experience. And just I remember this was like a live stream experience, and I, I just remember really vibing on it at the time, and that was the, the Father's Day show it was at Bonnaroo the the second mm. set from from January yeah. from, from June 16th which like and I revisited it and I was like I don't know if this is like necessarily great or like worthy of being on my list but I remember just watching that and really enjoying it and it was like a great yeah. great experience and 
um, just like the Father's Day thing. And I think it was also that that thing of like, you know, they're playing Coachella. It's a festival set, not having terribly high expectations and just feeling like that was like a really good festival set that they played. And it, 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 and it felt like a fish show, even though it had to sort of, you know, conform to the restraints of like a, of a festival environment. Um, right. So that's a sneaky good show. Bonnaroo, the two set show, the first, um, they did the first the single set was okay, but the two set show was surprisingly good. It was, yeah, it was very solid. Yeah, it was it's like very that solid, twist, man. The twist, yeah, and they kind of did that thing like where it's like, yeah, there was that progression like where, uh, and I, I have to look this up on my uh, phone here because like I, I feel like I, I pulled out the, uh, the thing is that like the Mike song Fluffhead? In it was show? like twist into like Winnipeg Groove into No Man, and they were like No Man in No Man's Land, and they went back into Winnipeg Groove, right, right, went right. back into twist. Yes. It was sort of like they were sort of weaving in and out of that. I feel like that was like the highlight of that second set. So that was pretty cool, and it was like again, like in terms of like just strictly musically speaking, I don't know if it deserves to be like at the first tier of 2019 but like in my memories it was like a really positive memory uh of like watching that show like i think i grilled out that night (laughs) cooked meal for the family and then i watched that show it was really fun so i want to give a shout out to that and the other one for me was and this is like kind of another unsung show but it was the second set of the july 5th show from fenway park which I thought was really cool. And uh, there was, for, I think, especially in that show, I think the Mercury yeah. going into, like, and, the, and then they go into, like, the, I think the Fuego, and then they go into uh, Say to Me Santos at the end of that set. And this won't be the last time that I'm a sucker for Say It To Me Santos ending a set. <laughs> you know, we, we, we alluded to this earlier about... Uh, newer songs and like how they're placed in sets um, just bringing a smile to my face and like Say To Me Santos you know I think is like one of the great fish songs of you know of this era and and them adopting that you know you talked about like Susie Greenberg being sort of like a stereotypical or a cliche set ender like or, or like a character zero like you're sort of like sick of hearing those songs at the end of sets, but it's like now you hear like "Say it to Me Santos" in that spot, and it's like, oh, this is like a great set ender, and it's very satisfying. And it's like a newer song than those other songs, so I, I always, I always find myself beaming when they play that, <laughs> and it's such a great sing along, and it's like a, yeah, you know, a spot. So. Uh, and my friend and, and, and yours, I'm sure Rob Mitchum, I think was at that show. And I think, I think like the show after that was like kind of rained out at, if I was like, that was the one big set that never caught fire. The first night was much better. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, oh, I forgot to mention Mercury into waiting in the velvet sea into Fuego into Santos. That progression, uh, I put that because like I make CDRs of like fish highlights, and I think I put that four song progression on a CDR because I really liked it. So again, like maybe not like a great overall set, not a first tier overall set, but I really liked 
that that was fun for me. So I put it on the honorable mention uh, spot for me. Couldn't you imagine, like Paul Rogers, like singing "Say It to Me, Santos"? Oh yeah, it's just a great like arena rock song, and it's uh, it's interesting because like at this point in their career, they're not really in a spot to have like hit singles or anything. You know, like I don't know how it's not their like biggest hit single ever, though. It's such well, a, if they'd, I feel like you play that song in the right setting and not know who it is, and people would just like want to karaoke it at dive bars. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if you played that like hi ho, hi ho, hi ho, like in a stadium, yeah. like that could be like <laughs> one of those things uh, that right, that right, that right. becomes like a cheer or something. But the just the way that they've like turned that into like a song that. You know, like, because because there's another set that I have in my list where they do sort of like a long jam, and then they come out of it and they play that song, and it's like such a great like, you know, fist pumping thing coming out of like more of like sort of an esoteric type, you know, jam that goes on for 20 minutes, um, and I just love that song. So I, I'm always a sucker for any set <laughs> that ends with it. And I've actually, I don't think I've actually gone to a show yet where they played Say It To Me Santos. Uh, so I feel like that will happen eventually because they play it fairly often now, I think. But Well, this, um, sets, up, this sets up a phenomenal segue for my honorable mention, which would be set one of December 28th, 2019 from MSG. This would have been the, the first night mm. of the Garden Run, and that first set ended with Say It To Me, Santos. Yes. <laughs> as fun as that was, what really did that set for me was um, I was at that show in December 28th of 2018, I thought was a kind of a poor show top to bottom, so I figured they had to come back strong. And for that show, it starts off with a new song, Evening Song, which was um, It's a Good Tune first time they played it was kind of surprised very upbeat very tight no man in no man's land that goes a bit of an extra mile and then they play a 13 minute down with disease that in addition to being played extremely early in the run as the third song in like the new year's run was just phenomenally well done almost like a cool shoegaze style peak where it almost sounds like a plane going down and then trey brings it back to the riff it's completed then there's a corny mic cover. Then there's a fantastic ghost. <laughs> so really, if you're going to put the corny mic cover in, you better sandwich it between a huge down with disease and a huge ghost. They play Way, which is a very wah pedal inflected version of the song. You get a bust out with Dog Face Boy. And then it ends 20 years later, Tube, Say It To Me, Santos. So just a really excellent way to kick things off with some uh, very strong versions of songs that you would normally expect to see in a second set in the first set and that kind of really set the tone for what I thought was a quite excellent New Year's run I, was just, like, I remember seeing that set and feeling like man they're burning through like a lot of like big set pieces in this first set right. yeah. and it's like is that nervousness on their part or are they just like flying by the seat of their pants because it's like man you're gonna like play you know 
you're gonna put ghosts in this first set too and you're gonna put like 20 years later in this set like because the idea i think is that well we're not gonna play these songs again during the msg run i mean i just wonder like how much premeditation goes in with that or if that's just sort of opening night sort of excitement like we're just gonna we're just gonna play what we want to play here yeah i feel like the opening night at msg works very similar to like the opening night of the summer tour which in most cases is the first show of the year where you know they can come out and they can play a total dud because there's a lot of nervous energy and they're not totally sure what works here and what works there and what's going on with our gear that's changed or the sound that we're trying to push this year or trying to discover or you could get like a show like june 7th 2012 that is one of the best summer tour openers of 3.0 and i would say this new year's run 1228 show is one of the best 1228s that we've honestly ever heard um because they just came out and that kind of focused or that kind of nervous excitement resulted in a band that just sounded really focused. And I think it, it, the, the only downside of it is it translated to a 1229 that was slightly subpar, but, uh, you know, that, that's the beauty of the band is you have no idea what night things are going to click and what night things are going to kind of fall and feel like a little bit of a dud. Yeah. I was at that 1229 show and I feel like, Second set was actually pretty solid, and I remember like the Harry yeah. Hood being like pretty awesome at the end. But yeah, the first set was sort of just like all over the place and right. not very good. <laughs> Beauty of a broken heart, Yarmouth Road wedge. <laughs> no. Although the best Yarmouth like... Road, oh, it's yeah. it's yeah. sort of a weird thing because it was like they they played some really weird tracks, but it was like Yarmouth Road. I was like, well, it's kind of like the best Yarmouth Road I've ever heard. Which is like I don't know if that's like backhanded praise of a song. Yeah, there was like but... an extra two minutes. I might have texted Brian like type two Yarmouth Road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did I did tweet. I don't know if this means anything, but that was the best Yarmouth Road ever played and I got It was. Of, yeah. I got a lot of like, is this an insult or a compliment? <laughs> I I honestly didn't know. But yeah, it was great. It was um uh, but that twelve twenty eight show kind of changed. I felt the, you know, the overall level of the of of the run itself. Um, so my, so, what do you got? Yes, yeah. So my honorable show. is the first set of what remains my favorite show of the year. Um, I didn't want to put set two in here because I've talked about it so much, and I wanted to look for a few others. Set one though of uh, July 9th, 2019, uh, opening with Mm. the first energy since August 4th, 2013. Return of that song goes immediately into a jam, which segues into Weekapod Groove just perfectly. Um, Maze into lengthwise into Maze as it always should be. Uh, I'm a big sucker for mid-set one properly placed petrichors, and I thought that this was yes, dropped yes. really nicely. It kind of is like a palate cleanser for the set, and then it ends with one of the more interesting bathtub gins in a year of that was filled with fantastic bathtub gins, and looking at my uh, 
looking at my top five, there's there's another one that pops up here and uh, ends the set with just a very bizarre take on the on the jam, and it doesn't really peak that much. It kind of meanders and wanders in a separate key, and then comes back and just set the tone for what I thought was a really great run at Mohegan Sun. Yeah, that bathtub gin actually isn't listed on the fishnet jam charts or bathtub gin. Interesting. Which, yeah, they should. Uh, someone's got some updating to do. Is that <laughs> totally ought to be there? Yeah, I mean, July 9th, I feel like I can't say too much about right now because I feel like we're going to yeah. talk about it a lot later. Oh, um, just you wait. We're going to talk about that show. But this was a show that. Um, feel like i forgot about because um july 14th ended up being like a big show for me personally and then the process of you know boning up for this episode just going back and going over the highlights of 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 2019 and just being like holy shit like july 9th do not sleep on july 9th uh at all uh so I'll just leave it at that. But yeah, I, I, the first set, the first set is great, and I yeah. think I, that could have been my that could have been on my honorable mentions too. But I think I was just so wowed by that whole thing that I didn't even think about it. But totally, yeah, definitely worth mentioning that first set. Well, let's kick into our top five here, Steve. What do you got for number five? Um, so this was a show that was hard for me to sort of split into sets because I feel like it was an example, uh, you know, I was talking before about, you know, there weren't that many sort of great overall shows, but I felt like this, sh- this show was an example of a great overall show and how it wasn't just a great overall show, but there were sort of like, you know, callbacks like throughout the show, like from first from the second set to the first set so it felt a little weird to split it up but uh i'm gonna say the first set of 621 for me and charlotte is gonna come in number five um and it's funny because i was listening to that right before getting on this podcast just revisiting it um it's so good though i mean it and again it it's hard for me because I really look at this as like one kind of complete statement from them. Um, And this is a show, and I think because, you know, they play Tweezer in the first set and they're actually able to like kind of return to Tweezer again and later in the first set and then they go back to it again in the second set and then they end with the Tweezer reprise, of course, at the end, but like they kind of are quoting it throughout. There's also other callbacks, I believe, in the second set. Um, but I, I think I just ended up going with the first set. I guess for, you know, I guess I have to say it ends with say to me Santos. So maybe that ended up, you know, <laughs> being a big thing for me. Um, but, you know, the progression from tweezer uh, through passing through to Yamar into a great Mercury going back to tweezer again, and then say to me Santos, like that part of the set, I think is just so good. But again, it's hard for me because, like in the second set, the Runaway Jim and sentence and sense and subtle yeah. sounds, that whole thing, that's really good too. It's like it, it was hard for me to pick one set from the show, and I'm curious to see if maybe one of you guys picked the second set from this show. Uh, I could easily see that happening. Um, 
but um, yeah, I, I, I just thought I, I kind of wanted to go with the first set. On you know, and I have two first sets on my uh, top five. Um, so because you know, normally we just talk about second sets, of course. Totally. I got on these types of lists, but I think this was an example of a show to me, like where they didn't do that sort of normal bifurcation between like we're gonna do like a song oriented first set and a more experimental second set. This whole this whole show I felt like was very well conceived. And uh, there were great sort of extrapolations, you know, kind of going on in both sets. So I went with the first set of 621. Yeah, this is very much of a complete show. And uh, this I this is not on my list. It could have been uh, very easily. Um, but I remember I was in Telluride at the Bluegrass Festival when this little run was happening and i was seeing a bunch of i think that was night i saw bela fleck and then i saw green sky late night with my brother and we popped open this we popped open uh live fish at the end of it all and we're walking through town just having it play in one of our pockets and just kept walking because we were like well we can't leave after that first set like we can't go back to bed (laughs) (laughs) we have to just like keep wandering and listening to it and it just yeah it's one of those shows that you press play have mercy surprises you right away. Got a is fantastic, and then the segment you talked about Tweezer through Santos, and then I really loved, and this was one thing that I noticed a lot during summer tour. The Runaway Jim is great, but that a song I heard the Ocean sing that like second jam midway through a set, where they kind of pluck the ideas from the first jam of the second set, but expand on them a little bit further because they're already there in their mindset that song i heard the ocean sing is one of the most underrated and i feel like overlooked jams of the entire year yeah i just feel like the way they were able to comment on like what they've already done and throughout the show um and just the callbacks it's a very 94 it is and it's so charming and it's so fun and um and i'm trying to remember like was this like a midweek show this wasn't like a week no was this friday was a show? friday okay. show um yeah it's such it's just such you know and like there's no sort of like extreme peak in this show there's no like i don't think there's like one defining moment i if, if you wanted to pick that i think maybe the runaway gym or maybe the a song i heard ocean sing but like it, it's just more of just like, oh, this is like so entertaining yeah. and it's like so playful and it's so fun um, that it, it just, it was so fun to yeah. revisit, you know, when I was doing this list. Yeah, it's a hell of a patient show. Uh, just allows the, the, it's like peaks and valleys, but it's almost like you're just like bobbing and weaving on the water because, you know, it's just very consistently pleasant, really con- consistently entertaining. Dave, what do you got as number five? Well, <laughs> I've, uh, and I swear I had zero knowledge of Steve's list in advance. My number five is June 21st, 2019, set one from Charlotte, North Carolina. All right. <laughs> Beautiful. Great minds think alike. Yeah, that was, uh, like everyone's been saying, that whole show is good. That was probably the first show, summer tour, top to bottom, where people started to say, oh, yeah, 
this is where it's getting good. I mean, that first set, it's just perfectly set up. Like the whole tweezer passing through Yamar Mercury tweezer into the huge fog hat style classic rock peak of Sage Santos. <laughs> that's um that's I think is the best first set of the summer tour. Maybe uh the best first set of uh 2019. Certainly I I think it's in the running. And um I guess in the spirit of saving us a little time, I won't go won't go too deep into it. Except to say that that's just a phenomenal first set and set to ain't shabby at all. So, yeah. I, I love that we're on the same wavelength with that. Yes. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's Good. great. That's great. So my number five, jumping ahead in the year, is December 6th, 2019, set two from the North Charleston Coliseum in Charleston, South Carolina. Sense. Um, yeah, this set kind of goes in line with what we were talking about uh, before we jumped into our honorable mentions in terms of what I look for in a set, because I'm not really asking for much of... I'm not asking for these songs to all be combined ever in a set. Like, on paper, Axela, Sense, No Quarter, Your Pet Cat. Looks a little bit like a mess. Limb by Limb, very late in the set. Saw it again, kind of just thrown in there between Mercury and Limb by Limb. But I felt in the moment, and listening back to it, um, I felt I feel like it just really works very well together. Sense and Subtle Sounds, as well as, I uh, believe, Saw It Again and Susie Greenberg call back to Axilla's theme. It's kind of what you're talking about there, Steve, with 621. Um, I rank this Sense and Subtle Sounds as one of the top five versions that they've ever played. It's super creative. It goes all over the place. It feels at times like a 2.0 jam. Um, I thought your pet cat was where it landed in this set was perfectly placed um even if i would not have necessarily asked for it or wasn't expecting it at all um and then limb by limb i'm a huge sucker for 99 limb by limb jams and this one i remember watching it and i was texting with a good friend of our a friend of the pod ben greenfield and they were kind of flirting with get, with taking the song out there, and then they were they would come back into Limb by Limb, and then they'd flirt with it a little bit more. And it felt like this really important moment in the set where it was going to be defined by it, and they finally broke free. I think it was the first time that they jammed it since St. Louis 2012, and it's a really interesting jam that ends up going into kind of like, a, like we were talking about, like a 94 space where uh, Fishman starts singing a lullaby 
and they're just in this weird dream space. It almost feels like something out of Alice in Wonderland. And then that fades into well, the lizards. He's doing, he's doing like this old man, right? Like, he's doing this old act? man, right. yeah. And then it fades into the lizards, which is you know the song that ushers you into Gamehenge, and just felt like a really special moment. Um, and last thing I'll say about it, I I had a friend over who I've probably seen like 150 concerts with over the last five years, and he's always been curious about fish. And it was the combination of the flow of this set where he was just completely captivated. And I told him at one point midway through, drop this very casually that they don't actually write their set list. And it like kind of split his brain apart <laughs> and, yeah. and led to a huge obsession that's been uh, blossoming for him with, with Fish over the last uh, couple of months. So that, that kind of memory combined with all the music, it just it, this is one of my favorite sets of the whole, of the whole year. So my number four uh, would be the first set from 1230. Hmm. And uh, this is a show that I was actually privileged to be at. And we're going to re- we're going to talk about this show again later, or at least I will be talking about the show <laughs> again later. Uh, but the first set, you know, and I think it's a great first set. And obviously yeah. it's informed by me being there and my memories of it and really enjoying it. But, um, you know, for me, like going to the show, uh, coming off of 1229, we talked about that being like a little bit disappointing, although they were able to pull together, I think really like towards the end of the first set, they played, um, while my guitar gently weeps at 1229, which was like, in the room was like a, a great reaction. Like people were really excited to hear yeah. that. That was pretty awesome. You could feel it on the webcast as well. Totally. And I, and in the second set kind of coming out of 
toward the end playing Harry Hood, um, which I think was sort of pointing toward what they were going to achieve the next night. You know, that sort of transcendence that they couldn't quite get to on 1229, but they definitely achieved on 1230. And in that first set, for me, it really starts to take off when they play the Ballad of Curtis Lowe, which was a great song for me to hear just being a fan of Leonard Skinner in the second helping record, uh, which that song comes off of. And and then they go into like a great blaze on a 17 minute version of that. And when I was revisiting this show, I remember just being really moved by the version of the, uh, that they play of, of, of Karina coming out of the blaze on. Mm. It's interesting because they only seem to play this song now at MSG, because mm. uh, I think they last played it during the the eighteen MSG run, and I think they the year before that they I think they played it in sixteen during the MSG run. And for those who don't know, this is like a Taj Mahal song from like his nineteen sixty eight record that I can't remember the name of right now. Someone can tweet me the name of that record <laughs> when this episode runs, <laughs> but. Um, just the beauty of Mike's playing on that cut and like how quiet they're able to play and how, uh, how soft they're able to play. And there's a beautiful moment that we're going to probably talk a lot about in the second set that I think is just a beautiful example of fish being able to be absolutely calm and cool in this incredibly heightened setting, which is MSG. And like, I think me, this was my first year going to MSG and seeing fish there. I saw two shows there and just knowing what the environment there is and experiencing that firsthand. And I think my respect for their ability to go quiet in that environment and to be still in that environment uh, was so deepened, you know, by actually being in that room. Um, because it's so exciting and there's so much energy Mm -hmm. and just the fact that they can sort of block all that out and play a song like Karina that is like, so just, just go and listen to that. Like how beautiful that is. It's so soft and it's so like silky and like graceful. Um, and it, it just, just the beauty of Mike's playing on that. I, uh, I'm sorry, of uh, uh, Paige's playing on that. It just knocks me out uh, so much. And then you know, going and and then you know, playing about to run, which is like m- one of my favorite uh, Ghosts of the Forest. Yeah. And I think like just, I think Trey bringing that into Fish and like that was such a great guitar hero showcase for him this year about to run you know that sort of like david gilmore neil young thing that he could just do on that song um and i was really excited to hear that as well uh so just like a really satisfying first set overall for me but again sort of colored by my own sort of experience being able to see it in person i think uh if the if the all music guide is to be believed the title of the Taj Mahal record is The Natural Blues. Yes, that's it. All right, from Thank you. Thank you, All Music Guide. Thank you, All Music Guide. Thank you, AMG. Thank you, <laughs> Stephen Thomas Erlewine. 
Got an open invitation yes. to come on this podcast if you want to. Baby, I'm a hard look. Honey, I'm a hard look. So. Okay, so my number four is uh, June 12th, 2019, set two from St. Louis, Missouri. Ooh, early in the tour. Mm -hmm. Early in the tour. This is the Stanley Cup set. (laughs) That's right. So this set was special because Fish is playing in St. Louis, and this was the night of Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals where the St. Louis Blues were actually uh, quite handily dispatching the Boston Bruins. And it's kind of neat because uh, in the first set, I guess during the run like an antelope, um, there's a lot of goal scoring. I forget what the score was, but the Blues go pretty far in front. And you can hear the audience cheer because some people obviously know what the score is. And you're wondering, without the context, you're thinking, like, why is the audience cheering? Like, this antelope's fine when it's not particularly memorable. And then (laughs) at the end of the antelope, Trey Anastasio plays uh, the riff to the Laura Branigan song, Gloria, which for some reason became the St. Louis Blues, uh, their fight song in 2019. So there's an extra long set break, which people thought, wow, are fish really going to learn how to play Gloria and come out for set two. And uh, people who know Trey know he's a really, really big hockey fan, played youth hockey, loves the Philadelphia Flyers. So surely enough, they open the second set with Laura Brannigan's Gloria with uh, Paige singing the vocals. Pretty ragged, very fun. And then they followed up with Loving Cup because, you know, the Stanley Cup, a little bit forced, but this is, I think, to date, the only Type 2 Loving Cup. It's like 12 minutes long. It has a very unique jam that totally deviates from the song structure. I mean, generally speaking, that in 3.0 is a big set closer. You know, the big Exile Rolling Stones song. And from that Loving Cup, you get a huge twist. Really gigantic, driving rock peak. Page is teasing... Um, What's the Deep Purple song? One from Tokyo that has like the huge like helicopter, like David Gilmore, uh, like Run Like Hell style 
uh, sounds that Trey was using all over uh, the Mexico run. Then you get the first ever fish version of uh, the Ghost of Far song, About to Run, which, like Stephen, you were saying to me is like Neil Young and like Crazy Horse cosplay, which that's totally cool. If Trey wants to basically cover like down by the river for like 10 minutes, that's (laughs) perfectly fucking fine with me. (laughs) Then you get Mr. Completely, which they hardly ever play. They only played it three times this year. And this is a Mr. Completely. It's got a very Eno-sounding jam that kind of sounds a lot like David Bowie's Heroes, kind of like a precursor to a jam that I'm sure we're going to be talking about later on. 14-minute light, and then the set ends with Waste. And I'm sorry, it goes Waste and Susie Greenberg, and the encore is uh, Farmhouse, and of course a very big first two to bring it home. I think that this is a very complete set, it doesn't get talked about enough because it was early yeah. it was early in the tour and there's kind of like an unwritten rule in Fish 3.0 that if a show is earlier in the tour there must be something wrong with it but it's not really the case here you're and selling I, me on this man I'm pretty oh, excited to revisit this set. and what's interesting I'm wondering if you're that big a St. Louis Blues fan and they've never won the Stanley Cup and they're playing game 7 that night and you have fish tickets <laughs> Do you see fish, or do you go to a bar to watch the Stanley Cup? As I'm wondering, like, how like big blues fans are these people that they went to like the fish show instead of like getting plastered and like you know watching the Stanley Cup? Are they just? I like, feel like it's. I feel like it's one of those things like where if you live in the city, obviously, if you were a big enough hockey fan, you would have gone just to watch the game, but. You probably just yeah. would appreciate like the tip of the cap, like oh, you you're acknowledging that like this is a big deal in our town, right? So even right. if I'm not like a huge St. Louis Blues fan or I'm like a moderate fan, it's like still pretty awesome because it's most bands, you know, they come to your town and it's like they do the Hello Cleveland treatment and that's like the as much right. acknowledgement <laughs> of your city, but it's like wow, this band actually like learned a song that's like significant to like our local folklore. Yeah, it's like pretty cool. And what was cool on the webcast, especially in the first set, when the blues are really going ahead, it kept flashing to the crowd, and there were like a lot of people on people's shoulders. There was like a big St. Louis blues banner, and it kind of there was like pot smoke, and it almost kind of felt to me like like the rock fight scene from Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke, in a way. <laughs> so I just I love that show, and I really like that set. So that was a well, and it really it joins um, uh, what is it ten twenty nine fourteen from San Francisco where they just happened to be in oh, San Francisco right. the night that the Giants won the, the World Series and uh, same thing they play I mean I don't this isn't necessarily special to San Francisco or Giants fans but they played We Are the Champions. Um, you know, what I have to wonder is... Well, at that point, the San Francisco Giants had won the World Series for the third time in, like, five years. Right, so. right, so it was, it was a safe bet. I um, I was at a show during the fall, just a concert locally, and uh, the ALCS Game 6 was on, and I was streaming that on my phone while I was at the show, and I've got to imagine there are some people in St. Louis at the show watching the game on their phone while they're while they're yeah, at the I mean, show. Yeah, Fish doesn't play St. Louis that much, and they can think of, wow, if I can see Fish right. and my team can win the Stanley Cup the same night, right. that's a pretty good <laughs> night. 
Yeah, this is a really good show. This is a really good set. Well, it's a really good second set. I think it flows really well. Um, I know you and I were, were texting a lot about it as it was happening. And um, I think for most of the summer tour, I, I would throw this on as, as the tour was progressing because it really felt like um, their first statement set, if you will. That, like, complete yeah. set. My number four is, um, I would argue this is the most complete set of Summer Tour. Uh, it is the second set 
from Sunday night at Meriwether Post, uh, hmm. June 23rd, 2019. Okay. Um, this opens up with Cross-Eyed and Painless, which goes into kind of atypical jam segment. Uh, it's very bright, little teen type of jam. It doesn't necessarily go into that arena rock space. It's a little bit more delicate than you get from most Cross-Eyed and Painless. And then it fades into Everything's Right, which just moves into this incredible grooving jam that then somehow finds its way back into the still waiting uh, vocals. But it reminds me a lot of the way that they found their way into still waiting vocals in the 10-17-2014 Cross-Eyed and Painless, my favorite Cross-Eyed of 3.0. Your favorite um, cross out of 3.0, the most talked about cross out on Beyond the Pond. <laughs> we'll cover it someday. <laughs> uh, we're like, they're not even playing in the typical, in the key that they normally play cross eyed in, but they're still singing it over and it adds this really bizarre kind of filter to the lyrics, which then fades into Ruby Waves, which had been, de- which it was debuted from Fish, uh, I think five nights earlier in Toronto. This goes into a jam, which will foreshadow one of the biggest moments of the entire year. And then you've got Twist, 2001, and Blaze On. Uh, one could argue potentially jukeboxy Fish, but a really good segment of Fish to close things out. If you're going to just do three songs back to back to back with no like real jamming attempt, I'm cool with those three songs. Blaze On works really well as a set to closer from an energy standpoint, but... Um, Felt like the set overall flowed really well. Song selection was really was really on point, and especially that third quarter is uh, some of my favorite fish of the entire year. Yeah, I love it. I love that show. I love that set. Can't I can't dispute it. I, you know, I would have put that on my. Yeah, it's I feel just like great. that was close to making my honorable mentions. I don't know why I didn't put it on there, but it's a great set. It's funny. I listened to that recently brian as you told me about it and for some reason i had a very strange summer i'll just put that out there and i had zero recollection of june 23rd for some reason I actually before i listened to it i went back to an older episode of beyond the pond to see what i had to say about it back around june 23rd and then i listened to it yeah it's extremely good that everything's right has like four or five different modulations yes. just it packs a whole lot of stuff into. I think I said uh, it was a very like chin stroking set. Like it's not rock peaks, but you sit in there and you say, "Oh, that's pretty cool." Yeah, 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 yeah. Do that more of that. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, it's it's complete. I'm all, yes. I'm all about the uh, the arms folded chin stroking sets. <laughs> <laughs>
Hi, I'm Bob Crawford. And beginning this winter, I'll be hosting a new original podcast focused on the 2020 presidential election, The Politics of Truth. On The Politics of Truth, we'll get expert analysis from our nation's most reliable journalists, experienced pollsters, pundits, and historians. And because this is the Osiris Network, we're going to speak with musicians from your favorite bands and get their take on the intersection of music, politics, and activism. The Politics of Truth, first episode premieres February 7th. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Visit osirispod.com slash politics to learn more. So um, my number three is a little bit surprising for me because I actually thought this would be a little bit higher. Okay. And as I was, as I was, uh, uh, as I was revisiting sets... It got bumped down a little bit, but it's still like one of my sort of defining moments with Fish of 2019. It is the second set of July 14th. Ah, there it is. It is my number three. Mm, and I, is, I thought man. for sure, wow. I yeah. thought for sure this would at least be my number two, but I got it bumped down a little bit because I found something else that I thought deserved to be a little bit higher. But, um, this was a show that I was at. This was at Alpine Valley in uh, Wisconsin. Uh, I was there with my friend Rob from 36 from the Vault. I feel like I have to plug the show. Big big shout my, out. My compatriot from 36 from the Vault. We were at this show together. I was also with him uh, for the MSG shows as well. Um, but, of course, you know the, sh- the, the, the thing that people always talk about uh, with this show is, of course, the Ruby Waves Jam. Yeah. And it was the first half hour plus jam of 2019. They, had, they, they of course, ended up playing another one later in the year that I'm sure we'll end up talking about later in this episode. Um, it's interesting with this Ruby Waves jam because w- when when Fish played this show and they played this jam, I feel like this jam was sort of a phenomenon, you know, yeah. because this was like the end of the summer tour. Um, it was sort of a you know, people were happy with it, but they weren't ecstatic about it. It was something, you know, I feel like people thought it was a little bit uneven, as, we, as we've talked about before. And then they played this second set on July 14th, and they and they played Ruby Waves. Um, and it's about, I think, 36 minutes or so long, and people just lose their minds over this jam. And then the year goes on, there's other shows that happen, there's another show that happens later in the year that maybe overshadows this a little bit. And I and I feel like Ruby Waves went from being maybe slightly overrated this year to being like underrated. I feel like people don't talk about Ruby Waves maybe as hmm. much anymore because of what happened later in the year. And I've gone back to this Ruby Waves jam and it really is, I think, a great achievement by fish i think it's one of those jams that people i think when people first heard it they were really excited about it because there were so many ideas that the band was obviously going through right Uh, and it almost felt like it was not like a prefabricated melody like medley type thing but like it almost seemed like Trey was going through song ideas that he had, and he was just throwing out riffs, 
you know, throughout this thing. And yeah. it's almost like six or seven or eight different sections right. in this jam. And I think for some people, they almost felt as though it was maybe like a little too forced in in some respect. Um, but I don't know. Like when I've gone back and I've revisited it, it's pretty fucking impressive. Like what they're doing <laughs> in this jam. Uh, I, I and I'll just say that for me, like having been at the show, there's a moment where it happens around the 19 minute mark, where you feel like. I remember when it was happening, it felt like okay, they're about to peter out of this. Yes. They're about to transition yes. out, and and I and I remember even like in the moment feeling like because the beginning of the second set, it it begins with Mercury, which has become like one of the great sort of fish uh, set pieces, particularly in second sets, and like they kind of exited Mercury fairly quickly. I think Mercury is about thirteen minutes long. Yeah. And I remember at the at the time thinking like, oh, we're going from Mercury to Ruby Waves. Like that <laughs> wasn't terribly exciting in the moment. It felt like, oh, we're we're leaving Mercury a little bit too early. Um, I had the text message from Brian Brinkman. I took a screenshot of it <laughs> after that. That Mercury said, "Wow, Trey doesn't feel like jamming tonight, does he?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I felt like that in the moment. It's like, oh, we're yeah. exiting Mercury a little bit too early. So then you go into Ruby Waves, and the Ruby Waves is great. It's like it's, you know, because like Ruby Waves, I think as a song, like for me, isn't like that great of a song. If mm-hmm. I could just say that, I mm-hmm. think like lyrically, it there's some real groaners in that song, and I hate <laughs> to say that because it's such a heart, it's such a heartfelt song, and it's such a heartfelt project for Trey. Right. But like you know the the song about like if I could touch the sky with my fingertips, you know that whole thing. It's like all yeah, right, yeah. it's like a little, eh. But anyway, we're going into the song, and uh, you kind of exit the main part of the song, and, and they're jamming, and it's great. And it gets about to the ni- nineteen minute mark, and then they go into that little like reggae jam, after that. And if yes. you listen to like the recording. There's like this spontaneous like cheer that happens where they're playing the reggae part and then they go into that sort of like metal riff right after <laughs> that. Like, Trey starts playing that metal riff and and there was this sort of common realization of like, holy shit, like we're going to another level here. Like yeah. we thought this was gonna be like a standard great twenty minute fish jam, and now we're kinda going to like Something that they don't really do in 3.0 very often. Yeah. You know, like we're going to a different dimension here. <laughs> and from the, and that last 20 minutes of that, uh, or the last, I guess, like 15 minutes or so, it's so exciting. It was so exciting to experience that in the moment. And, uh, you know, people were very excited when that happened. I feel like people kind of weren't as excited about it in retrospect, but. If you go back to it, I think it still really holds up as like a pretty exciting jam that has tons of ideas in it um, and tons of great sections. And and it really tells a story over the course of 35 minutes or so. Um, so and I, and I was excited to experience that in the moment. Isn't there a part, I want to say around 27 minutes, where it sounds like Trey is going to go into the title track from Ghost of the Forest? Yes. Right. Yes. Right, well, yes. And, 
there's a bunch of moments where you feel like it's about to end or they're about to go somewhere else and they don't and i think um I, i think what you say about like uh it feeling deliberately segmented like there's a lot of ideas being deliberately pushed whereas there's a different 30 plus minute jam from the year that sounds like ideas are just kind of unfolding naturally to my ears this sounds like they're trying to push the song out as far as they can um and that i think is really exciting in the sense that i was asking for that both internally as well as on this podcast throughout much of the summer tour (laughs) where there would be moments where they'd seem to be on a really great idea and rather than pushing that into five more minutes to see what happens, uh, they would transition into a different song because they were feeling this kind of pressure to keep playing new songs. Um, to me, the moment that makes the Ruby Waves so special and so spectacular is around 30 minutes where Trey sounds like he's playing a helicopter. And <laughs> if you watch the video, he you know, he starts to loop this, he, he's like muting his strings and just going back and forth and he starts to loop it and layer it and it builds on itself. And the, they, their director, their producer just did such a great job of holding the camera on him during this because once he gets the groove going, he looks to Paige and he gets the biggest fucking smile I feel like I've seen from him in 10 years. And he's just like, you guys hear this? And they... You can hear the crowd, and I've been to Alpine Valley. Like when that crowd, when the the when the band does something great, that there's like a swell from the stage all the way up to the lawn, and it right. just, you can feel it like reverberating like inside of you, and it's one of those moments that I think that there are proper criticisms of the overall Ruby Waves jam. I think that no matter what the fact that that jam reached that moment and you got that reaction from Trey and then the crowd that makes every aspect of it worth it. And, and justifiably one of the best jams of the the year and also the, the overall era. Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, the reason why we, why we love this band is because you're chasing moments where you can be in a crowd of like 20,000 people and, yeah. and have that Holy shit feeling simultaneously. And like, like, wow, we're experiencing something special that like literally no other band can do right now. Right. <laughs> There's no other band on their level that can do that in front of that many people, invent something in the moment, and and you know it when it happens that it's special, and it's so exhilarating to to feel that. And um, I'd never felt that at a fish show. That was the first feeling I'd had like that at a fish show and it was very special and I'll never forget it so uh, that will inevitably inform my own impression of that even when I revisit it now um, but I don't sure. I, I make no apologies for that I, I will announce my biases <laughs> in advance it's like you know we all have our holy shit moments and it's like that's a holy shit for, moment for me like that 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 jam, that Ruby Waves jam. So I'm, I, I'm, I feel very lucky to have experienced that.
Okay, so my number three is uh, June 30th, 2019, set two from Canada, yes. New Jersey. This was, uh, you know, they always say never miss a Sunday show. I don't know if that's as true as it's been in the past, but this is this is a true blue Sunday show. I mean, set one, it's kind of like Bust Out City, and it ends with going Pebbles and Marbles, Tila, Mango Song, Driver, David Bowie. That's ain't <laughs> nothing wrong with that running in set one. Certainly not. But I guess what we're talking about is the second set, and it goes 38 minutes worth of Mr. Completely and 20 oh, yeah. years later. Like I had uh, I'd said previously, they played Mr. Completely, I think, three times in all 2019. But usually when it's in a set, you know the set is going to be good. So if you just saw that on paper, you figure maybe 27 minutes of Mr. Completely to like 11 minutes of 20 years later. But in this case, I think the breakdown is more like uh, 17 minutes of Completely to 21 minutes of 20 years later. So this is the best version of that song that they've ever yeah. played. I mean, it gets to, I mean, I'll just say first, the mystery completely gets to a driving rock and roll peak that makes you want to like throw yourself off the Ben Franklin bridge that you can see on the lawn, at that venue. And the 20 years later, it's kind of, it's loose and effortless to the point where it just sounds like they're at sound check. And I don't mean that it's almost like they're playing without thinking about an audience. They're just taking it. They're letting it go. And all you need to know is at one point is that Fishman actually starts playing a uh, he starts playing a full blown uh, go go. Yes. So I think I refer you back to uh, Beyond the Pond episode seventy, where we talk exclusively about this run. For more info on uh, like the go go beat and the style, I think we play uh, a Chuck Johnson song. He's like the father, of, like DC Go Go, in that episode, but. I remember listening to this, I think, listening to this set for the first time in a car driving back from my parents' house in Connecticut with my wife and children and yelling out, hitting the steering wheel and saying, wow, Fishman's playing a go-go beat. <laughs> my wife turned to me and was like, what the fuck? Just drive. <laughs> so, plus that second set, I mean, if there's a 13-minute tweezer in the second set and it's not a highlight, which, I mean, that was... In this case, that tweezer is by no means bad. They just kind of stay in the same key and just jam it really hard. Then you know that clearly something really cool happened. I mean, with the rest of that set, the 20 years goes in the big black furry creature from Mars, then the tweezer shade. Um, your mileage may vary in that song. I think it's a good ballad if placed correctly. Mm -hmm. Most events aren't planned, which is the Vita Blue song. That's probably the best Vita Blue song. It always gets good and funky and rocking. Mac is super policeman, Choctaw's torture, Susie Greenberg. So I guess if you wanted to argue against that set, it gets slightly autopiloty towards the end. But that 20 years later is probably for me a top five jam of 2019. So between that and the mystery completely. And the fact that set one is nothing to sneeze at, I just thought that was a very complete show, and that was a very complete set. I feel like this was a good year for 20 years later. I feel like there were a bunch of good yeah. versions yeah. of that, and that, that song really blossomed in 2019. Yeah, there's uh, the version from 
December 1st from Nassau that uh, I don't think the whole set holds up. But yeah, it's a really, it's that's a Ruby Waves into 20 years later, and it's just a fantastic version. Yeah. At one point in that 20 years later, Paige is playing an organ riff and an organ sound that actually sounds weirdly like part of the uh, like 20 minute Genesis song Supper's Ready. Mm. <laughs> right. Mm. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think that I, was just completely like coincidental. But yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I put that version on my 2019 fish mix. Like I, I love that version and I love that song, but yeah, the, I feel like there was so many good versions of that, but like the, 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 the 630 Camden version, I think is, yeah, I would definitely agree. It's like a heads, heads and shoulders above the rest. Yeah. And it's a song that, um, you know, it's really followed the band in an interesting way throughout 3.0. It was one of the earlier debuts of the era, but you know, you've got scattered across 10 years of playing, uh, really fantastic version from Reading 2013. Um, yeah, that was the first one to kind of get out there. Was the Reading 2013? It goes version. into the China Rider Jam, and then um, uh, Albany last year tour opener 1016 2018. It just fades into this ambient jam that almost reminds me of the steam from MSG 2017. Before I think. Does that 20 years later go into that uh, show of life that we really like? Yeah, the best show of life ever. Yeah, yeah. man, oh man. So, yeah, <laughs> 20 years later, I really like this song. I think um, for the type of lyrics that were being written around 2009, it really kind of fits the mood of that era and has followed the band in a great way. And uh, I totally agree. I, I thought we were getting a four-song second set with that Camden set, too, until right. they just kept playing song after song. But... Uh, they were setting us up in a really cool way there. I think the Baker's Dozen version of 20 Years Later is also very good. Yes. Cinnamon, Cinnamon Night. Night? Cinnamon Only time Night. I've okay. ever seen Fish play a Neil Young song. Uh, Cinnamon Girl that night. It was great. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, that's right. Okay. I was yeah. thinking you weren't at Powdered Night, but yeah, they played Cinnamon Girl. Right. No, I was. Thank you for reminding me I wasn't at Powdered Night. Uh, <laughs> it's like I'm still chasing Albuquerque. Uh, I still I want to hear too, an man. Albuquerque oh, from Fish. Yeah, you and me both. Be beautiful. Oh man, I saw it once. Uh, Worcester '98 night two. There was an Albuquerque and a Mike's Groove at Memory Serves. Oh man. <laughs> Thank you. 
So, my number three, um, I, I think this is going to kind of poke a hole in, in something Steven said earlier about uh, fall tour, because this is another fall tour uh, set for me in, in my top five. Uh, November 30th, 2019, from the Dunkin' Donut Center, mm. the, the venue that was originally planned to host the Baker's Dozen in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, this also taps into my... I, I would rather not care what songs are played in a second set because on paper it's kind of a mess and yet it worked really well. You've got Bathtub Gin into Alaska, which in most cases I would say has no business whatsoever being in the middle of a second set. Uh, What's the Use, Piper, Golden Age, Plasma Reprise, and Harry Hood. Um and for me, this set just flows incredibly well. Bathtub Gin is a great jam. Really guitar-heavy tray. Alaska just fades away into this eerie, spacey riff. Uh, What's the Use continues its trend of just, like you were sta- saying earlier, Steve, like the space that the band is willing to enter and the patience that they're willing to get to is perfectly exemplified in a couple of different versions of what's the use from the year. Um, you get Piper, Plasma Reprise to kind of tie together everything that happened the night before, and then Harry Hood that goes into a minor key jam before coming back for a triumphant peak. It's just it all fits really well together in like 60, 70 minutes. And you know, this is kind of like you talk about a CDR set, like this would fit perfectly on one, and you're good to go. I loved it. I need to go back. I, I feel like I need to dig dip, like you know, revisit a lot of those shows from like the fall tour because I feel like it was. I I just wasn't feeling like, like a lot of those shows, but like hearing yeah. you describe this right now, I'm like, oh, I want to go back. Like, what did I miss? <laughs> this this sounds pretty awesome. Night two, Providence was very good. Night one was terrible. Night one was terrible, and, I, and I'll totally agree with you. Like. Fall Tour was either a total hit or a total miss. And this is one of those shows that, like, this is the first set where before every song, Trey was introducing it, you know, saying, we'd like to play an old song called Meat. And then he'd turn to Paige and go, hit it, Paige. And he'd add that synth, right? It was just very goofy fit, you know, this, like, weird mood that the band was in. And it's usually those shows where they come out and play a killer second set. And then the encore is Big Black Furry Creature from Mars, Kung, Wombat, Possum, and Plasma. Just essentially like a third, you know, another quarter in and of itself. Yeah, with that Alaska, you can definitely see like the northern lights at the end of that Alaska. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. It gets cold and chilly and unlike a fish Alaska and more like the like, actual Alaska. Alaska, Alaska. <laughs> yeah. So I thought this was a high point in fall tour. I think um, kind of this with Charleston night one, you really got a sense of the the good part of uh, no repeats in a condensed tour like this. Uh, whereas a couple of the other shows that um, we won't go into too much detail about, but namely Charleston night three uh, suffered incredibly <laughs> from not knowing what songs they were going to play. Hey, 
If you're like me, things like music, running, and cooking all bring happiness and meaning. However, there are times where even the things you rely on for happiness are not enough to help you achieve your goals. The good news is, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. BetterHelp Online Counseling is a way for you to connect with a professional counselor in a safe, private, and conveniently online environment. Schedule your own secure video or phone session, plus chat and text with your therapist at your own convenience. Everything you share is confidential, and licensed professional counselors are available with specializations in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem, among more. BetterHelp is available worldwide, and if you're not happy with your counselor at any time, you can request a new one at no additional charge. With over 3,000 licensed therapists, you can start communicating in under 24 hours with non-crisis counselors. Schedules can be set up weekly over phone or video, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. I've been using BetterHelp for the last few months, and I feel a strong sense of clarity, purpose, and understanding in speaking with my counselor. It's important to speak with a professional when you're feeling in need of communication and understanding. Beyond the Pond listeners get 10% off their first month with BetterHelp by using the discount code BTP. That's BTP. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash BTP. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash BTP. So this was a show that I feel like just the process of revisiting 2019 for this episode, it really, I remember loving this show when it happened, but then I sort of forgot about it and then just revisiting it and just having a newfound appreciation for the brilliance, I think, of this show, first and second set, but especially the second set. It's a July 9th second set. There it is. Uncasville, Connecticut. There it is. And I feel like, I, and I love that uh, it seems like this is going to come come up with you guys too. I love that uh, we're talking about this because um, I feel like a, like a running theme with my appearances on your podcast are talking about fish shows uh, with Soul Planet. Uh, <laughs> or Soul Planet has a prominent role. Uh, we get the stump for Soul Planet, and I feel you know. And honestly, I'll say it again: like you know, people like to take shots at Soul Planet. Soul Planet is a great jam vehicle for fish, and especially when it's at the uh, at the start of a second set. I think it always ends up, or not always, but often goes in a very awesome direction. Has and an insanely that, high batting average, like insanely is, high batting average. I don't think crazy. that Trey wrote an ending for it, so. And I, I, I want to say too because, for those who haven't seen like between me and my mind, the the Trey documentary, which <laughs> yeah. is great, I, I'd recommend anyone you know if you haven't seen it, go see it. I saw it in, on an airplane of all places recently. Um, the writing of or like the or at least like the rehearsal of Soul Planet is like the is like a narrative thread yeah. in that movie, and I almost felt like are are they like trolling like fish fans like by making Soul Planet such a important part of this film, you know, like because I feel like people like to take shots at Soul Planet, but like you know again, 
the three of us here on uh, Beyond the Pond, I feel like we're Soul Planet defenders. Yeah, and uh, yeah. the Soul Planet on this on this show, I think, is beautiful. Um, but you know, if we're going to talk about this gig, I feel like for me, it begins and ends with the "Beneath a Sea of Stars" mm. yeah rendition, the seventeen-minute version of here. And I remember, like, this show, I think, was streamed on Sirius. Um, yeah, it was. It was, like, live-streamed. And, re- and I remember listening to this, because I went out in my van, and I listened to this show. Uh, the second set, I was just driving around at night, listening to it. And I remember this part of the show, in particular, just being so beautiful. And it's like a version of fish that we don't often hear at this point, like a 3.0 where it's almost, I don't want to say it's free form, but they're going off into outer space and it's like not really tethered to anything like really from the beginning of this song. It's like, you know, and I think that's the way the song is structured anyway on the, uh, ghost of the forest record. But, um, to me, it's really like one of the hallmark jams of uh, uh, of 2019. Just revisiting this, just the beauty of what Fish is able to do uh, on this on this track, and mm-hmm. uh, and again going back to that idea of just having the patience to create open space mm-hmm. in a jam. I think it's a beautiful example of that, and. Um, I, you know, they go into ghost and birds of a feather and waste after that. And it's all great. It's a great progression, but that jam in particular to me, it just like sold it for me as like one of the sets of, 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 of of the year. And, you know, even above seven fourteen, which I was at, I initially had that at number two, Mm. But revisiting both, like on the recordings, seven nine, seven nine set two, it just it just went ahead for me, um, and uh, I I really think it's like one of the great achievements of of, of twenty nineteen, um, and I I'm assuming it's probably on your list too at some at, in some places, I don't know, <laughs> I, I, I I'm just gonna guess that's gonna show up on on your list as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think it's a breathtaking set, you know, from beginning to end. But that's I mean, really, the first set is great too. Yeah, I, I think I think this is like one of the you know if we're going to talk about like complete shows. I think this is like one of the complete shows. Yes, of the year. Uh, but the set too, I think in particular is just beautiful and uh, really holds up well when you revisit it. When we get the debut of Wider, where Fishman goes into Wider wanting to play it. Nobody else, well, Trey knows it. Mike and Paige don't know it, and they kind of just jam along to it, uh, which yeah, then Mike's ends up just, in Undermine. Mike's just playing the root notes. Yeah, and then you get Final Hurrah, which I, I'm i just waiting. I mean, that song kind of uh, moved into a jam in Toronto. I'm waiting for that song to jam. But, yeah, this Beneath the Sea of Stars, I was listening to a lot of uh, 74 Dead at this point during the summer. And um, the kind of jamming that they were getting into during that that year, um, really long, uh, kind of like you were saying, free form, um, kind of structureless jamming out of 
like let it grow playing in the band um even like versions of sea stones where you know this idea of like kind of time space doesn't really matter within the jam they're just trying to like get as far away from each other in a sense as possible felt very weightless and um i remember rob mitchum uh friend of the pond um tweeting out that it sounded it was the closest thing he'd heard to fish sounded like the sicket disc like they were playing something off the sicket disc in you know 20 years at that point in time and i totally resonated with me um plus you get a really cool and they they played this song so well all summer long a really cool birds of the feather late in that second set that you know that song had grown incredibly stale throughout 3.0 and all of a sudden you get this 20 plus minute monster at blossom you get a great first set 10 minute exploratory jam at camden and then you get this late in the second set that i just loved and uh, i'm all for that song continuing to expand itself yeah so um you know from high number two i've got uh <laughs> i got july 9 2019 set two from mohegan sun uncasville connecticut look at us yeah. look at us well, simpatico it's man mind melt. <laughs> it's beautiful i'll just say um if you want to hear about this in more detail you can listen to the Daddy Unscripted podcast on Osiris Media, but July 9th was an interesting day for me because uh, my then two-month-old daughter got surgery at the hospital on July 9th, so it was uh, an interesting day to go in in the morning with the surgery, and then the utter sheer elation, like six hours later, of her being totally good, and they said it was successful, and then she was in recovery, and then we were so relieved and so happy. We, Me and my wife went and got huge bowls of ramen. And right as I'm mm-hmm. slurping into the ramen, I look at my phone, and the set starts like Energy Weekapog. I'm like, holy fucking shit, what a day. And it just went, Energy <laughs> Weekapog. <laughs> this is a July 9th to remember. Yeah. But, yeah, that... I've probably listened to that Beneath the Sea of Stars in the second set about ten times, and... I still can't figure it out. I don't even think Trey can figure that out. I mean, I'm not sure that there's a real corollary in Fish Jam history to whatever it is that they're doing in that song. I mean, to me, it almost sounds like they're playing like free jazz backwards. Like it really, (laughs) it doesn't sound like anything else in their catalog in that year. And it really, it keeps going. At one point, it sounds like they're trying to play like the dead song, Let It Grow, and then they go mm-hmm. into a different idea, and they pack about five or six different ideas in the 17 minutes. And what's interesting about that song, I think that was the second time it got played outside of Ghost of the Forest. The first time was in June 29th from Canada, New Jersey. They got lost in the shuffle because it was sandwiched by Rift and Waiting All Night, which was uh, kind of an uninspiring second set. But the Uncasville version, I think, is by far the best of the four versions they played of that song that year. And, I mean, even when they're done with that, you get the really excellent versions of Choctaw's Torture and the, uh, like, Third Stone from the Sun, Fleck Birds of a Feather... And then Waste, which is coming to find, it seems like they played Waste in a lot of really good sets in 2019. I didn't 
quite think about that until just doing this podcast right now. You get a lot of good waste. And then Golgi Apparatus. But that was just... Yeah, I think aside from what's going to show up, uh, I think, pretty soon this podcast, that uh, Beneath the Sea of Stars Part 1, that's my vote for the best jam in 2019. So... Yeah, I would I would concur with that. I mean, it, it it's it, it is it gets the silver medal for me for best jam of, mm-hmm. uh, or I don't know. It's tough because like with the Ruby Waves from Seven Fourteen, that's so great. But man, like revisiting this beneath the sea of stars, and like I've been revisiting it a lot like in the last few days. It is so breathtaking, and it, it and it's just so um, like you were saying. If you want to say Ruby Waves is sort of contrived, you know, which I don't totally buy into that, but like when you listen to Beneath the, uh, the Sea of Stars jam, it's like, okay, this doesn't, uh, that totally feels there's like no it's in the moment. For it. Yeah, there's no blueprint I mean, for that. Just going back to what you've been saying throughout this podcast, I mean, what band in America right now is capable of taking a three-month-old song after having been a band for about like 34, 35 years at this point and then making that such an incredible highlight turn that into something new. I mean, no other band can do that with their new material. Nobody cares. I mean, maybe maybe Radiohead, they're not, they're not a jam band, but aside like from Radiohead, I can't think of any audiences that get that excited about like new material for a band that's been around that long. Well, even Radiohead isn't creating in the moment to the degree that like no, Fish no. is. Right, like, right, in, right. You know, like where... And like with a song like that, you're even like... Like the, the you know, like the high... You know, the high wire is even thinner on a song like that because there's right. just not... There's not a lot to hang on to, you know? Like there's yeah. no like sort of obvious riff that you can play that's going to bring the audience back. You're just totally out in the stratosphere, the atmosphere, just floating around. And uh, the the fact that they can play that free, but it's still coherent as you're listening yeah. to it. Like there's still like a narrative. There's still a story that you're, that you're with them as they're playing it, even as it feels like totally loose. I think it's just that that's such an impressive thing to pull off. Well, it's something I thought, um, and I kept coming back to this uh, as we went through 2019 Fish. The year really felt vulnerable. Like, their music really felt vulnerable to me. And uh, it's part of the reason I loved the Ghost of the Forest project so much is, you know, for a long time, and and. I'll give a shout out to one of my favorite writers in the fish community, Wally Holland, who's on mm. Twitter at Wax Banks. Um, he wrote something in his book, um, A Tiny Space to Move and Breed, which is all about the Fall 97 tour. He, he wrote about uh, fish and this idea of soul and how you couldn't necessarily compare fish to the Grateful Dead because there were so many soulful ballads that Jerry had that fish just wasn't really capable of writing and something happened around like 2011 2012 where age and wisdom and the kind of trials and tribulations of the road had really seeped into fish in a way that you started to really hear this soul that you'd never really heard before and ghost of the forest the whole album feels like one of the most soulful things if not the most soulful thing that trey's ever 
put to pen and 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 put to record. And I remember listening to that record, really liking it as it progressed through, and then it ends with Beneath the Sea of Stars. And I just felt like I was hearing a totally new direction that the band could go in. And to hear them then a couple months later play a version of my favorite song off the record. And, you know, there's no blueprint for it, but almost play like the perfect version of that song. Um, Like in their second take on it ever was such a special moment. And I, I just love like the Hendrix aspect of it. Like that to me... Right, uh, the Ghost of the Forest record, like my favorite parts of that record, are like where Trey is indulging that side of his of his playing, and I, and that was probably a tip of, tip of the cap to to his friend that he was writing about, um, that I think was into that kind of stuff, and I just feel like, you know, on that track, especially playing it live, it just sort of reminds me of like. Electric Ladyland, like where where it gets really trippy in the middle, yeah. you know, like that. Yeah, you know, it's it's just great.
So my number two set of the year, I'm going to take us pretty much as far back as we can go in 2019, right around the time that we recorded our 2018 episode. Uh, Fish settled down for a three-night run in Mexico that I think was uh, one of the finer, if not the best, Mexico runs we've had thus far. And... The mid- it was the best. There's not, that's not up for debate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> and the middle night, they played one of the best shows of the entire year, uh, February 22nd. And the second set from that show is one of my favorite sets. It's my number two set of the entire year. Um, the whole show, you talk about a complete package. You know, this opens with You Enjoy Myself, Turtle in the Clouds. Uh, 46 Days goes into a really crazy jam territory really cool jam territory no man in no man's land gets in this very blissful space before fading into emotional rescue you get a tube jam a saw it again uh shade is in there but then set two and this is one of my favorite things that they did throughout 2019 yeah throughout 2019 was where they pack new songs into a second set and jam off of them and they did it a bunch throughout the entire year uh camden night one comes to mind um you know uh the uh mohegan sun night one that we were just talking about comes to mind but this one set your soul free goes 26 plus minutes mercury goes 22 minutes two songs that were written within the last five years are capstone songs here during this set before fading into one of the oldest two of the oldest uh uh, fish songs ever slave to the traffic light and then possum and then to keep the theme alive you get sanity and walk away and this just great energy and uh just kind of surprise aspect of the end of the set following two phenomenal jams and i don't know if you guys have listened back to that set your soul free but the last five minutes are some of the most aggressive and driving and just hard rocking tray i've heard in the last couple of years is that the jam? It's either that or the Mercury where he's really feasting on the helicopter delay effects yes, that are like the that's very it. David Gilmore run like hell. The yeah. See, I like that you mentioned one of these shows because I have this like weird thing with the Mexico shows, like where it's almost like the preseason. With like a foot, with a with a, with, a, yeah. with a sports team or something, yeah. it's like where I don't even think of it as like being part of like what would even be counted as like a great show of the year. Although it's obviously right. a real show, but it's like there's always something up until 2019. That yeah, was the case. it always seems like oh, yeah. like do these count as shows? Because it's just right. it's like you know they're it's like a cruise type thing or like you know people are going on vacation, but. No, you're right, though. I mean, that was, like, a pretty cool gig. I mean, they were... um, But, like, it's like, are they just starting to care about those more now, though? I mean, not that they didn't care before, but it's just interesting about, uh, you know, like, where that falls in the year for them. Like, are they just, like, limbering up? Are they, like, oh, like, like we're, we're rehearsing in front of a crowd here? Or, I don't know. Because like the show that you're mentioning, it, it doesn't seem like that at all. It seems like they actually were like giving it their all, you know. Even though we're like on a Mexico beach. Yeah, I felt the the last two years that they played in Mexico, um, there were like really subtle and kind of nuanced, good like 
great moments. I'm um, thinking of the second night from 2016 and um, the first night from 2017 has a really great Fuego uh, twist segment in set two. Um, but aside from the final night in 2017, which is as high energy, high octane fish as I had heard uh, at, at Mexico at that point in time, and that was coming like 10 days before they announced the Baker's Dozen, and it was played at a time when everyone knew the band was kind of going to take a light year in 2017, but nobody knew what it meant, so it kind of felt like a send-off in some ways. But aside from that, until this year, they didn't really approach the Mexico shows like they were meaningful. And Night One in Mexico has a great second set, but this show is just a full, complete show that I listen back to in full all the time. I mean, I think think what needs to happen is that Osiris needs to fly us all out to Mexico mm. and and allow us yeah, to yeah, take these in in person because I don't think we actually have the right perspective. I think I think right. uh, we need to see it in person in order you're to fully like appreciate these shows. You're on your couch watching people on a beach and so you're kind of exactly. like slightly angry at them. Exactly. Like, Why are you there? You know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. It's this like I'm a not... good point. <laughs> it's, yeah. I think my envy... <laughs> I usually haul in sand. I usually get like inflatable <laughs> palm tree and get like a sandbox. No, I, and that's the one time of year I'll, I'll play drink. I, I think I'm too. No, I, I think I'm too envious of the people there. It's like, oh, why do you, why do you get to see fish on a Mexico beach? This show sucks. I I'm, I don't care what they do here, man. Like, there's nothing they can do that will impress me because I wish I was there and I'm not. So right, <laughs> screw all these people. Yeah. 222 is a serious fish show. I was I was surprised at how good 221 was and even more so 222 because yeah, I mean up until I think 2019 there had been elements of them starting to take Mexico more seriously in 2018, but really yeah, it kind of like you were saying Stephen kind of felt like spring training. Like you go to the spring training game and after three innings, all the starters would be taken out and people were just like milling about. But these are actually two twenty two is a good fucking show. I thought we need to have someone who's actually there because I feel like even a shitty fish show, I, I, like like in Mexico, would be pretty fucking awesome. Like you'd be like, oh, this is yeah. great. You know, they could just even play. If it wasn't good, right? Right. Yeah, you know, they could go. They could just play backwards on the number line for like forty five minutes, and it'd be. <laughs> Phenomenal. <laughs> well, that yeah. would be phenomenal. Forty-five minute backwards down the number line. Yeah, it'd be great. I'd have to get out there. I think um, wasn't Matt Dwyer there from HF Pod? Yeah, we had him on last year to do our recap, and that's uh, right, right. He had been there, I think, year one, and then this year, and I think his reaction to year one was, "Well, I'm seeing fish on a beach in Mexico in the middle of January, even if these aren't the greatest shows. Like, this is an amazing experience." But then going back this year was everything we're talking about where he was not expecting the level of energy that they were going to bring. And uh, it kind of contrasted a little bit, I think, with the vibe of being on a beach. Like you kind of almost want a fish show that you can <laughs> just hang back and have some beers and soak up the you know overall vibe of the space rather than like being fully into it and, and getting everything that comes with that. Yeah, you see that? That wouldn't be me. If I'm going to go see in Mexico, I want them to deliver. I'd be the curmudgeon. Right, right, right. I'd be the curmudgeon saying, like, 
And this show wasn't that good. And I'm on the beach, and I'm getting bitten by sand flies, and the food is not that great <laughs> anyway, so. Anyhow. <laughs> Yeah, this feels like one of those years like where, you know, there's like one movie that everyone sort of agrees is like the best movie of the year. Like like if this was like 1994, it'd be like, oh, are we going to put like Pulp Fiction at the top of the list? Like, yeah, probably, <laughs> yeah. you know. Maybe one of us is going to put Forrest Gump, but no, we're probably all going to put Pulp Fiction at the top. Um, and if you don't put Pulp Fiction at the top, it's like, oh, like, uh, like what's the matter with you? Like you have terrible taste. Um, okay, so – my number one, okay, I'm going to say set two, December 30th, MSG. I was at this show. There it is. And, um, you know, it's to me, the whole set is, like, magical. But, you know, it it ends up just being a conversation about the tweezer, uh, which is the masterpiece of of 2019 as far as i'm concerned and and maybe as far as many people are are concerned and you know i listened to it again today before recording this because i was like okay am i overrating this is this like you know just something like i was there and obviously i've listened to it since i saw it live but uh, is it just like rose colored glasses because it'd been like you know a, a few weeks since i listened to it no I did not overrate it. It fucking delivers. It is great. I'm dropping F-bombs on this because it deserves it. Um, We got the E. It's okay. It is. uh, It's great. You know, we talked about the Ruby Waves jam earlier. And and to me, like, I feel like 
when you talk about jams in 2019, it, it becomes a conversation about Ruby Waves versus Tweezer. And and I and I love the Ruby Waves. I, I defend the Ruby Waves. I think it, it's great. You know, yeah, maybe there's too many ideas in it. Maybe it doesn't quite flow in a, a totally organic way, but I think it's I think it's great. But the tweezer uh, from twelve thirty is just so beautiful how it unfolds and if not if you, if you just cut everything else out of it and you just had that little four minute stretch in the middle from about 20 or so to about 24 minutes and Brian I remember talking to you about this and you likened it to the big ship yeah, the Brian Eno from Another Green World this just beautiful, ethereal, spine-tingling section of the jam where uh, Paige is playing this like spooky, beautiful synth riff. And that's the star of that jam. But like when I was yeah. listening to it today, I was again just struck by the ability of this band and again we've said it many times in this episode and i'll say it again no other band in the world can do this the ability to be still in front of twenty thousand people during a new year's eve run which you know is like the highlight of your year and there's people traveling to see you and this is like the biggest thing there's tons of pressure on you and you could just be still enough to play something like that little four-minute stretch where there's so much air and it's so soft and it's so calm and your hand is still. It reminds me of that scene in The in the Departed where Leonardo DiCaprio is talking about being an undercover cop and he's like, you know, there's people – shooting guns around me there's you know they're dealing drugs but i can hold my hand and my hand is still <laughs> my hand doesn't my hand doesn't shake yeah and like to me that's fish in that moment and it's like we have all this pressure we're playing tweezer second set december 30th and we can just lay back and we can let this moment unfold this beautiful moment that no other band could do and um there's so many great other moments in that jam that we're going to talk about, I'm sure, but like that just knocks me out, and it it makes and it reminds me like this is why we love this band. This is why so many people love this band, and why people see hundreds of shows. You're chasing a moment like that, and and it's not just the obvious peak moment where the lights go up and Trey's playing like a million miles an hour, and it's so exhilarating and. You know, it's like the obvious uplifting moment. It's like a moment like that where it's just like, how can you be that calm in that moment to let something like that unfold naturally and occur out of thin air, you know? And it's worth it for us as fans to just step back and go, we can be critical of this band and we can nitpick them, but like they can fucking do that. That is right. that is yeah. that is so special to me, and like I you know, and I know this is probably true for, of you guys and true of many other people. I can listen to that little section over and over again, and it's like that is so great, 
it's so special and I'm so grateful that this band at this moment in time can still do something like that. You know, and there's other great parts of that jam, but like that is like so fucking special to me that they could do that. And that and that is undeniably the peak of fish for me in twenty nineteen. Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna uh look, that's my number one. That second set. I'm not uh I love Pulp Fiction and Pulp Fiction was the best movie of nineteen ninety four and this was <laughs> By far, to me, the best set and the best show, I think, overall of of 2019. I mean, with that, I was telling Brian earlier today, I mean, that tweezer, the fact that they played Ruby Waves, Steam, back in the tweezer, Ruby Waves, Save the Traffic Light, that cool sandwich, that was great. That was gravy. But honestly, after that tweezer, if they decide to play, like, Rift, waiting all night and then like beauty of a broken heart twice it would still be my, my favorite set of that year just because it was uh god i've listened to that four minute segment probably at least 20 times since it came down so i actually i wasn't at that show i was at the first two nights the 28th and the 29th i did not go to the 30th because i saw yola tango on the 27th wanted to give my family the benefit of the doubt that I still love them. So I decided to uh, <laughs> stay home that night. Uh, but I went to the after show, uh, the Garcia Peoples, Chris Forsythe, Riley Walker after show, where I saw Stephen and Rob Mitchum, both when they came in. I think, Stephen, you kind of looked at me and you said, like, that was the certainly the best fish show I've ever seen them play. Oh, yeah. I said that to Rob in the middle of the show. I think I said it to Rob after that tweezer. This is the best fish show I've ever seen. Yeah. And, fish is, and Rob, you know, he's been to many more shows than me, so he's always more, like, reserved and doesn't rush to judgment as quickly as I do in those sorts of situations. Um, but I was like – I and it is cool to me that they played Ruby Waves – uh, after that, because to me it almost felt like this is our year in review right, set. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know? like, yes. We're, yes. Totally. Like the Ruby Waves thing. I don't know if that was conscious, but it almost felt like, yeah. Remember when we did Ruby Waves in you know July? Like we just did this awesome jam. We're gonna kind of do a little tip of the cap to our other epic jam, and it, and that was like a really cool thing too. Like that was that ended up being cool that they played that. Um, because like you said, like if they had just done the tweezer, it would have been great. I think the whole set ended up being really cool after that, too. Um, yeah, certainly that was um, one I was sad. I mean, I kind of, I'm kind of, I mean, you're kind of asking for it based on history if you skip December 30th. Because that's very, very seldom does not deliver. <laughs> and yet it mm-hmm. delivered even more so than usual. But yeah, I mean... Compared to the Ruby Waves, well, like for me, the Ruby Waves is phenomenal, but like you've been saying, it's very segmented. There's times when they stop and then Trey just decides to will it to keep going. And the difference being to me, the uh, the MSG tweezer, it just it feels like water. Like there's no gaps. It's just the fluidity of one idea to the next. And then they top it off with like the let's go team Potvin sucks the like rangers chant just obviously more <laughs> evidence that trey is a big hockey fan 
but it just it flows. I mean, compared to even say the famous Tahoe Tweezer 2013, that's got a bunch of bits where it sounds like they can stop and go into something else, and then Trey or Fishman keeps willing it. This one never feels willed. It just feels like they're going for it, and the ideas are there, and they flow into each other like water, and just the fluidity of it is something to behold. And it's got some serious Fishman air drumming bits before the ambient portion. Oh, man. I was just going to say that. like He puts on a clinic from like 14 to 17 minutes where they go into that first initial peak. He's playing this. He's just all over his yeah. drum set, and he doesn't sound like he's playing a rock riff at all, but the band somehow figures out a way to build on it. And I remember when that came down thinking, that was great. That was a killer 20-minute tweezer to kick off set two. And, you know, the type of moment where you kind of pull out your phone or you, like, talk to your neighbor and, you know, two minutes goes by and they're playing that just really quiet, contemplative back and forth, uh, which, you know, is the moment that sounds like the big ship that, you know, as much as I love like a rising, peaking fish jam, that middle section of the tweezer sounds like a peek into the band in like a rehearsal space or in like a studio. And I feel like you just never get that from from most bands. Most bands aren't willing to come on stage and show themselves in that, like in their quietest, show themselves trying to figure something out and discovering something that's brilliant like that. Um, and that risk involved with with what Fish does is what makes them so special. Well, it's interesting too to me, like when you compare the Tweezer Jam to the Seven Fourteen Ruby Waves Jam, because it is a very similar sensation. Where, like you said, there's a moment around like minute nineteen where you feel like, okay, it could end here. Yeah, and and they're kind of winding down, and you're like, okay, and being in the audience both times because i was lucky enough to be at both of those shows i remember feeling in both instances being like okay we're about to go somewhere else and then they go into this totally novel really charming new section that ends up kickstarting like the next sort of 15 minutes that you're going to go on to this this sort of bonus section that you weren't expecting and like again with the ruby waves thing there's that little sort of reggae section they're going on which again is like totally great and you're like oh wow this is like so cool they're doing this but with the tweezer they're able to go into this thing where you're like wow this is like some of the best music that they've composed like you know of this era you know like to me like if this was like on a if this was on a record people would be like, oh, wow, holy shit, right. this is like fucking great. And and I don't know to what degree that was, I don't know if if they had worked that out like in a rehearsal or something or if that was totally spontaneous. I mean, like when you hear it, it feels organic. It feels like it just coming out of the moment. and But it also just feels so fully formed at the same time. Um 
where I was like, oh man, like I want them to do like an ambient record, man. I do, <laughs> do I do like, like come on, man, fish, like make your Eno record now, because wow. uh, like make a whole record like this. Because I was like, man, again, like just listening to this again today, I had like chills listening to that. I thought this is so cool, what yeah. they're doing, and and maybe part of it again is like just the context of it and feeling like it's so cool because they're creating it in the moment, but that's such a cool mode for fish. Like, I really like that, uh, sort of more, you know, like we're, we're just going totally, uh, textual here. You know, we're not going for the obvious thing. We're going kind of spooky, beautiful type vibe. I just loved it. I love it so much. Brian, what was, um, the Fuego you saw with Ben Greenfield, is that July 28th, 29th of 2018? July 28th, 2018 from the forum. 28th. Okay, right. That's the one that had Great reference. Yeah. kind of like the ambient jam on um, based around the King Celluloid Heroes. Yes, yes, yes. It's actually kind of sounds a little bit, sounds a lot like the part that we're talking about in that tweezer. Yeah. Just like. Well, what was the thing? You were talking about that show earlier this year that you felt like was pointing to this too. What, yeah. What, what show was the, the Stanley Cup show, June 12th yeah. from St. Louis, right? That's in the music it. completely. It's got the, you know, it's the very heroes. Even like some people said that the middle of the tweezer reminded them of heroes. I'm thinking maybe, but they're in totally different keys. Or if the mystic completely jam, actually it's in the same key as heroes. It's got like the very similar, you can almost like sing along yeah. to it. I gotta go. I'm. I yeah. gotta go back to that St. Louis show because. Oh, you'll love it. That 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 sounds pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, you, you know, and again, it's just you need these moments as a fan of this band to remind you of like how spoiled you are, <laughs> <laughs> like being a fish fan. You know, yeah. to me, because it's like you You're know. So lucky. Exactly, because you know we can like nitpick this band, and we can like, oh, like why did they do this sure. or this show didn't flow very well? But it's like you know they can, they're capable of doing stuff like that at this point in their career. And like again, there's no other band of their stature playing arenas that's doing anything even close to that. No. That is going to give you that kind of discovery in the moment. You know, like there's no other band doing that. Like on the planet, like they're totally unique in that, and um, we we you know we have a right to you know have our opinions and we can like criticize stuff and all that, but we do have to kind of come back to that moment of like oh like oh this is why we love the band, this is why we love this band, they can do this kind of shit, and that's the thing that makes to me the you know, the dedication and the criticism and the opinions that come along with that from just the amount of time you put into listening and following them and understanding them um, is when there's a moment like this, it's just unanimous. I mean, there was a full four days. Everyone knows it. Yeah, there was a full four days where the only thing that the fan base was talking about was a four or five minute segment of fish that was that was quiet that was quiet it wasn't so it wasn't a peaking gym it was like the entire fan base was obsessed right. with contemplative fish and that that sort of stuff you just know it it resonates with everyone 
Well, I remember messaging you, Brian, about that and being like, and kind of feeling like, oh, did anyone else notice this? And you'd be like, yes, yes, that was amazing. You know, because again, because like you said, it's like not an obvious peak. It's not like you're being bad, batted over the head with this like dramatic, like this like, oh, this is so great. It's, it's, it's like a, it's a grace note. Yeah. It's, it's a nuance, you know, but it's, uh, but we all know it, you know. I think I call it the sound of being born. Yes. Like, <laughs> which is there a better com- Is there a better compliment for a piece of music than uh, that? Like the sound of being yeah. born. That's like so epic. <laughs> I love that.
Ryan, I think you uh you went Forrest Gump. I, your number one. I I was just looking up 1994 movies because uh uh yeah, there's there's Pulp Fiction, there's also Shawshank, there's also Speed mm. and Dumb and Dumber and Arnold Schwarzenegger's True Lies amongst uh, a number of other masterpieces. And I went with I saw that in the theater. <laughs> So is this, are you going with Shawshank uh, here? Then this is, is this there is, a Shawshank? I, yeah, I, I guess this is the closest comparison to to Shawshank. This uh, it, it even ends with a Santos, which is uh, you know the equivalent of um, uh, of him standing underneath the rain uh, when he crawls through through the the football field worth of shit. <laughs> I don't know if that metaphor is going to carry it all here, but uh, this is Friday night at Dick's. I couldn't really go a year without giving a tip of the cap to a Friday night at Dick's. It's probably <laughs> aside from December 30th. It's my favorite night of the year for fish. Uh, I, I cannot tell you guys, I can't try to convince you guys enough. Friday night at Dick's is worth coming out for. There's so much energy. The, you, you get this real sense when they walk into the venue that summer is ending, that fall is upon you. The entire stadium gets dark before the band comes out on stage, and then the lights drop, and you can see him walking down the stairway up to the stage. The stage turns blue, and the whole place just goes crazy. And this year, Dix was... It was kind of like a reflection of the entirety of 2019 in that the best parts of it weren't like huge peaks. There were a lot of like subtle nods to different thematic experiments, uh, thinking immediately of night two. But where they connected in a whole complete piece was Friday night, August 30th, set to Everything's Right that felt just lifted from uh, Trey's sit-in with uh uh Derek Trucks band uh Tedeschi Trucks band sorry when they played Layla a week earlier at Lockin Festival mm. oh yeah there's a extended mercury there's a really well placed shade there's a light that goes seamlessly into party time uh really great sand a what's the use that just goes down to complete silence and then another excellent Harry Hood to cap off the set. It just flows so perfectly. I've listened to it a bunch over the last couple of days and kind of sat with it and um, was thinking a lot of what you've touched on here, Steve, and in terms of like my own personal memories of this set. And I had 10 or 11 of my closest friends around me. First night at Dick's, everyone's just on like, you know, incredible amount of energy and uh, the band just came out and delivered. And it's a whole set that you press play on. Everything's right. There's no letting letting go until Santos is over. Well, you can't deny the Santos closing set. So I I, I won't I won't argue <laughs> with that. Even though even though you aren't picking Pulp Fiction as the number one film of the year, you know I understand. <laughs> and and again, yeah, like I think you can't argue. Like if someone says I was at this show. I was with my bros, or I was with my, you know, I was with my wife, or I was with my whatever the case may be, and it was a transcendent experience. Like you can't argue with someone who makes that case. I feel like uh, it's so funny. Like you go online and you see people complaining about a show, and then you talk to people who are actually there, and it's like two totally different experiences. Right. 
and, right. uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that always has to color your your opinion, like when you're ranking something like this. And uh, I do want to go to Dick's. Dick's is on my list. I th- I think just because of the be. Brinkman, uh, you know, uh, you know <laughs> sloganeering here, or like the Brinkman uh, salesmanship, <laughs> you're, you're the best Dick's uh, uh, partisan that there is. So definitely got to get out there sometime. It's like 30% of the reason why I moved to Denver. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think that in this year, uh, I, I, I'm not going to say this is the wrong answer, but I definitely, I mean, the time that we spent discussing 1230 set to, I, I will get, I will tip my cap to that set. It's unbelievable. The tweezer is phenomenal. Um, I just, uh, yeah, when I looked back on the year, this was the one I just kept coming back to over and over and over again.
think that's a very solid wrap-up of 2019. An excellent nutshell. Not so much a nutshell. A big nutshell, like a walnut, <laughs> I would say. We wouldn't indulge him, but it was all good. I just want to say to correct myself... I did see Albuquerque at that second Worcester show in 98, but it was uh, in between Gaiuti and Foam. They did not play Mike's on that night. And I think I referred to um, the godfather of DC Go-Go as Chuck Johnson, when in fact it's Chuck Brown. I think oh. Chuck Johnson is that really fucking creepy, red-haired, right-wing troll. <laughs> oh, 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 I thought you meant that guy funded. I thought... You mean he was like the founder yeah, no. of uh, DC Gogo? <laughs> oh man, not that guy. No, I was like, oh wow, because I, no, I thought DC Gogo was older. It's like, oh yeah, that guy, that guy's not that old. It's like, oh wow, okay. Complicates <laughs> its legacy. Chuck Brown, may he may he rest in peace. I think he died like three years ago. With that, and I'm sure I made I'm sure I made many mistakes, but you know that's okay. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not gonna no, apologize. When we do it. When we do it on the fly, mistakes will be made. I'm just preempting the Twitter followers saying, what the <laughs> fuck? You're supposed to be like, I don't know. Never yeah, apologize to the Twitter followers. That's my that's my motto. Never, never apologize. Never I don't know. No, you can't. No. You can't give in. Can't give in ever. Well, Steve, this was awesome. Anyway. Man. Thanks so much for hanging with us and uh, running through this. My pleasure. This was great, man. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure to have you. Always on. a pleasure to talk about fish with you guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. We will uh we'll do this again soon. All right, guys.